0: Welcome to the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature.
1: So, for a year, there was a freshwater shrimp club. And these are like little tiny fourth graders. So, some of them looked on the web and they got all these books and they they researched it. And then they began to advocate for the shrimp. It's all alive, it's all connected, it's all intelligent, it's all
2: relatives.
0: Scientists tell us that concern with the environment will no longer be just one of many issues in this new century. It will move to center stage. It will become the context of everything, of our lives, our businesses, our politics. We are, in fact, moving from the information age to the age of biology. In this series, The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, we salute the Bioneers, the biological pioneers who are working with nature to heal nature. Honoring both traditional native wisdom and modern scientific knowledge. Restoring the earth by changing the world. A hundred years ago, the futurist H.G. Wells said that we're in a race between education and catastrophe. He could well have been foreseeing humanity's current destruction of the biosphere. Scientists warn us we're rapidly unraveling the weave of the web of life itself on whose intricate tapestry our survival depends, yet we barely understand it. Is our impending ecological catastrophe primarily a crisis of education? If it is, we could be in luck, because, pioneers tell us, the answers to how to sustain human communities are embedded in the four-billion-year-old school of natural history called Life on Earth. The facts of life are all around us, if only we pay attention. And some of us are paying attention. Join us for the next half hour as we explore A Sense of Wonder, Ecological Literacy, and the Facts of Life with Zenobia Barlow, Fritjof Capra, Esther Cook, and students Aaron Wilder and Laura Kenmotsu. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature.
3: The garden is you know, quiet and peaceful, and I'm from Iowa, and I like the, like, the quietness and the peacefulness. It, it's very calm, and I kind of like that. So I just stay here sometimes and work for fun.
0: A small group of people got together in Berkeley, California in 1995 to form the Center for Literacy, a public foundation. Their mission was to revolutionize environmental education from kindergarten through high school. They, too, might be called futurists. Co-founders Zenobia Barlow, Peter Buckley, and Fritjof Capra saw the future in children. They knew that environmental education is best begun young. They also knew that a truly effective environmental education has to include real experience in the environment. What better way to get back to the garden than to go back to the garden? Our story unfolds in a garden at the Martin Luther King Jr. Middle School in Berkeley.
3: It's enthusiastic to me because, like, you get to plant stuff, and then they have chickens, you know, like several chickens in the garden that I guess they help, you know, clean up seeds and stuff, and they're fun to mess around with, so that's that's
4: what I like about it. This is our beautiful garden, our one-acre garden, and you can see there's the chickens in uh, what's called the chicken tractor, which is kind of a movable coop if we want them to work and cultivate a certain area, which is exactly what they're doing now. This season is greens. We are growing so many different kinds of greens: chard, kale, bok choy, joy choy, tatsoi. All, you know, beets are coming up. Lots and lots of herbs. We just finished our kiwi harvest, which was amazing. And pepino dulce, lemons are coming up now. Seville oranges.
0: Ten-year-old Aaron Wilder and Esther Cook, who is the school chef teacher at Martin Luther King Jr. Middle School, and is a professional chef and educator. They would both likely agree with Henry David Thoreau, who once wrote, I have faith in a seed. Convince me that you have a seed there, and I'm prepared to expect wonders. The Center for Ecoliteracy decided to seed its programs in the fertile soil of schools where systemic change could take root and grow. They scouted for schools that yearned to experiment with environmental education that was experiential and participatory and cut across several disciplines. Schools that already saw themselves as whole learning communities, oriented to knowing their place in the ecological map, called in dirt under your nail in a classroom, but getting some dirt under your nails, as one indigenous educator put it, is anywhere learning occurs. Zenobia Barlow, executive director of the center, the most important, what real environmental education means to her.
1: David Orr says that thing that we can teach children or allow them to experience is a sense of wonder. And so, you know, in the earlier grades we really want kids to be engaged in the and the mystery of uh, life processes. There's enough problems to inherent or an experience later. And sustainability really is nature's you know, ability to sustain life. And so we want to understand that more fully, that matter side and there's something energy flows. And so there's something profound about that. And there's something enduring about that. That's uh, hope producing about that. And so if we want children to learn around technologies and businesses and education and social systems around Processes like in biomimicry that, that mimic the way that of uh, life, then you need to have a sense of it. You need to have an understanding of it. You need to have a mastery of uh, what those patterns and processes are. And some of that is ecological knowledge that can be learned in a science classroom, and some of it is you know the pleasure and the expertise of uh, apply that knowledge.
0: A sense of wonder. The pleasure of observing and learning how to apply ways and means. Sonobia Barlow mentioned David Orr. David Orr is the dean of environmental... <laughs> ...Riverland College and a board member of the Center for Ecoliteracy. He coined the term ecological literacy. It just depends on the book of the same name. He says that all education is actually environmental education. <laughs> it depends on what we include or exclude about how people are part of the natural world. All life is... If there's one single insight at the heart of ecological knowledge, it's that all is endlessly interconnected and interdependent. As people, we are and that web of life. Does our very survival now depend on our ability to understand the very fact of life? Physicist Fritjof Capra thinks so.
2: The challenge of our time is to build and nurture sustainable communities. This. Social, cultural, and physical environments in which we can future generations. Our needs and aspirations without diminishing the chances of future generations.
0: Fritjof Capra, the author of many books, including The Web of Life, is sp- It's not a Pioneer's Conference.
2: What is sustained in a sustainable community is not economic growth, or development or market share or anything like that and in our this sustained is the entire web of life on which we depend long term survival in other words a sustainable its is designed in such a way that its ways of life businesses its technologies its social institutions do not them with nature's inherent ability to sustain life. And this is the matter. At the moment, our ways of life interfere with nature's ability to sustain life, and we must stop that interference and redesign our social institutions, our technologies, and so on. Now, the first step in this endeavor, the principally, must be to become ecologically literate that is to understand the of organization that ecosystems have developed over billions of years of evolution to sustain the web of life. In the next century, this literacy will be a critical skill for politicians, business leaders, and professionals in all spheres. More than that, it will be critical for the humanity as a whole, and therefore it will be the most important part of education at all levels, from schools to colleges and universities and to the education and training of professionals.
0: If eco-literacy is so vital to our survival that it will move to the center of education at all levels, where do we look for directions for how to structure sustainable human communities? We need look no further.
2: How do the When you ask yourself how do ecosystems actually do it? They work to sustain life. When you study them in detail, you will find out of own that their basic principles of organization are the principles of organization of all living systems. So the study of ecosystems leads naturally to the study of life as such. And therefore, the most appropriate theoretical thread for ecology is the theory of living systems. Systems theory called systems, a new way of seeing the world and a new way of thinking, which is often called systems thinking or systemic thinking. It means thinking in terms of context, relationships, patterns, and processes. Now, when this systems thinking is applied to the study of the Earth household, original meaning of the word ecology from the Greek oikos household we discover that the principles of organization of ecosystems are the basic principles we observe of all living systems, the basic patterns of life. For example that an ecosystem generates no waste, one species with a web of life, another species food. That matter cycles continually through that the energy driving those ecological cycles float life on, that diversity increases resilience, that from its beginning, more than three billion years ago, did not take over the planet by combat, but by networking, by cooperation, by partnership.
0: The question for the Center for Eco Literacy became: how do we instill knowledge in young people? The center was surprised by what they found. For instance, what has to do with it? More when we return. This is A Sense of Wonder, Ecological Literacy of Nature, Acts of Life. My name is Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart. Fresh. Synchronicity was in the air in 19- 19. The Center for Eco Literacy was first feeling its way into environmental education. At that, time, fresh love waters, the founder of the world-renowned Chez Panisse restaurant in Berkeley, was planting her passion for local, organic, and heirloom foods at the Martin Luther King Jr. Middle School. She had met, she envisioned it, the school's principal and shared her vision for an ecological curriculum. Naturally. She- as a school lunch program. It integrated school gardens, kitchens, and cabinets, all of one piece. Martin Luther King Jr. Middle School didn't even have a cafeteria at that time. Alice Waters' vision took root in what became known as the edible schoolyard elements. For eco-literacy, funded the creation of a curriculum integrating all these previously unconnected elements. Again, Esther Cook, the school's chef.
4: Before it was this garden, it was just for a garden, top parking lot. And then Alice Waters had the idea that this would be a great spot. And have a program that really taught kids about eating seasonally and what does organic mean and the whole theory sort of behind sustainability. So that was about 10 years ago. And it took a while to actually hardtop and cultivate the soil, grow a cover crop, plow that in, and then start to harvest crop. And now we've got a lot of food that we actually, you know, the kids can grow bring into the kitchen and cook.
0: The shared vision of an integrated curriculum, unifying pattern, cooking, and school lunch represents an approach farmer philosopher Wendell Berry calls, solving for... (laughs) It occurs when one solution solves several problems all at once. And in this case, that... Problems to solve. Again, Zenobia Barlow.
1: It's common sense, of course. Feeding children makes perfect sense if you want them to be able to learn. And I think research is dimly showing that children can't learn or their learning ability (laughs) considerably, even with shortfalls of nutrition. We did a study at Massachusetts, Dr. Michael Murphy at Harvard, who teaches in the Harvard Medical School and is also on staff at Massachusetts General Hospital. And he had done some studies for the federal government Around uh, feeding universal school breakfast. And what he learned was that when children was <laughs> at school, there are all these benefits that we weren't anticipating. Violence was up, vandalism was down, tardiness, um, you know, school <laughs> all kinds of things that we saw as isolated problems were in truth all <laughs> every child in the school symptoms of hungry children. So you provide universal breakfast for everyone, and all of a sudden there are all these dramatically influenced psychosocial behaviors programs, academic achievement. All of the governmental food programs influencing women and children equal about thirty billion dollars of revenue a year in the United States, about nine billion dollars in lunch at a total of almost thirty billion dollars, so the stakes are high. I mean, this is uh, this is a big alter for many corporations. There's a high cost of cheap food, <laughs> though we're feeding children very frugally inside of schools. You know, our health care costs that are the result of how children are eating or not eating. You know, out of control. So when people ask us, well, how could we afford to feed kids, you know, differently, how could we not? People ask us, well, how could we afford to feed kids, you know, differently, uh, my response is, we not afford. I mean, we are, are going to go bankrupt with the results of obesity and type 2 diabetes and other diet-related disease.
3: Before you go, we're going to have to clean up. This is a huge mess. Everyone's going to help, all right? So if you are done... Start cleaning
4: up a little bit, and then we can just eat the rest of the sushi that we've made.
3: Okay, let's do that. Yes, I think organic, it seems better, even if when you say organic. It just gives you this feeling that organic is good, and, like, pesticides. Like, I remember seeing this airplane, like, flying over a crop, like, like, working a field, and it just reminded me that airplanes and pesticides and there were people there. On the farm, and they were actually putting the pesticides on the farmers' organic. That's when I decided that I didn't want to eat pesticides anymore. So now I eat only.
0: Laura Kenmotsu clearly understands solving for pattern. So exploded them by eating organic, the King's School Gardens cooking programs and lunches also <laughs> myth that kids want only junk food. And another study by Harvard's Michael Murphy comm- then did. St- concluded that the edible schoolyard students did show a greater ecological understanding <laughs> of students in another comparable school. But growing, preparing, and eating organic also catalyzed greater overall academic progress. The expanding curriculum connects <laughs> ever more widely within the whole school environment. Esther Cook.
4: It's not a-
0: connected the dots,
4: but it's actually the garden and the kitchen are used by different departments in school, and it's a way have a class in a different venue and to maybe have a hands-on experience with some of the class graders and the kids that they're studying in the classroom. So we connect with their curriculum. For instance, today we had six... kitchen, <laughs> and they made a fruit salad, but we also made a little sauce by crushing cranberries in a mortar and pestle because the mortars and pestle, early humans. And they all know about the, the tools that they use, and they had drawn pictures of... <laughs> but to actually come in and use it was fascinating for them, and they got really into it because they're so... in the ec- <laughs> A few months
3: ago we just harvested some, some amaranth, which is a small grain you could grind grind up into flour. You can make candy out of it, like you can pop it
0: illiterate
3: corn and like turn it into candy.
0: That's Aaron Wilder again. He's eco. Faith in a seed flowered not just into food, but into experiential, hands on learning. In fact, research shows that after two weeks we only rec- <laughs> Of what we read, 20% of what we hear, but we recall and work to complete of what we experience. The Center for Ecoliteracy and Alice Waters <coughs> complete the connection from seed to table with the building of a school cafeteria, a di- entire Birking School. To achieve that goal, they extended the web of relationships out to the <coughs> School District, whose voters approved several million dollars for the building of new kitchen- Alice Waters facilities. The Dining Commons will open around 2006, replete with an out- school lunch program. In any living system, the whole is always greater connected to parts. Esther Cook has seen the almost magical transformation that occurs when children get to out- nature, to each other, and to themselves.
4: The kids really get to see where it's very detached from, from because a lot of them don't understand. Um, they see food in the supermarket and they. they- them. So to actually pull up a carrot and eat it, to find a Cape gooseberry and open up the pod and actually pop it in their mouth. It's, a, you know, that kind of experience of that direct <laughs> harvesting and eating. Lots and lots of snacking going on in the garden, which is great because they, they make that connection experience. I think that in the kitchen, what's important for them is to have a really sensory <laughs> and to be given a lot of responsibility and a pretty clear eat it of what is the exp of the compost pop. When they come out here and they're taking all their table scraps from the compost bin in the kitchen to the aisle, and they just start to experience, they're sort of in the web of life instead of just hearing about it or reading about it. I even hear from teachers that certain kids that they just have a difficult time with, maybe they're not so successful academically, but given the kind of learning that they do in the garden or the kitchen, it just connects with their own mode of learning, and they're almost a there are really true transformative qualities about having a tactile, real life experience. They come out here and they have a sense of, I am a p- on this planet, and I have consequences to my actions. I can make choices, and I can um, affect change, positively or negatively. And and it just, I think it really contributes to their sense of self.
1: The research is supported by all of our observations that when children participate in growing food, preparing food, and eating food that they've grown and prepared, they fall in love with it. And Alice's attitude, of course, is that the whole approach will be to help them fall in love.
0: Zenobia Barlow and the Center found out that the answer to what's lunch got to do with it is the same as what's love got to do with it. Everything. As educator David Orr says, biophilia—the innate resonance that life has for life—may be our best hope for the future. Our intelligence, says, the extent and depth of our affections, set boundaries to what we do and direct us to better or worse possibilities. That affection, that love, that loved its teacher life, made the critical difference for a group of fourth graders at Brookside Elementary School and Rhett Rogers when their love extended to another species. Again,
1: the demoralized Barlow. So they were asking her about an endangered species, and that's kind of a <laughs> subject matter for fourth graders. So uh, they said, Mrs. Rogers' species study an endangered species. And so she said, for sure. So they looked at what species were in proximity, and they had a, like a list of five or something and so they they chose this tiny little being, the freshwater shrimp, and they began to study. For a year, there was a freshwater shrimp club, and these are like little tiny fourth graders. So some of them looked. They wrote letters, and they got all these books, and they they researched it, and then they began to advocate for the shrimp, <laughs> to Congress people, and they began to look at the habitat of the freshwater shrimp. And it turns out that this habitat that there has uh, in these creek beds in uh, Marin County. And the reason the habitat had been destroyed was that cattle on these dairy farms, the life of, were allowed to come down to these creek beds. And so the way to preserve the species, or hopefully to create a context in which they could, and was to plant willows and to restore this habitat. So over time, the Freshwater Shrimp Project, which was this tiny little one class, is now, well, at least 100 teachers a year, and it's been for maybe eight years, you know, and the dairy ranchers who are a very independent who group of people hadn't really let, you know, environmentalists on their property, but these kids who were planting willows began to be welcome, and so really project. Two miles of creek bed in Marin and Sonoma counties have been restored by the straw <laughs> students and teachers restoring a watershed.
0: Zenobia Barlow. And that love with nature may just be our best hope for the future, especially for the children who are the future. Love is spreading. In a brief ten years, the work of the Center for Eco Literacy has helped lead the policy school district's adoption of the nation's first district-wide school food policy states that no child should go hungry. It calls for nutritious, locally-grown fresh, organic whenever possible, food that also reflects local cultural diversity. The center is joined with many other organizations nationally in a farm-to-school movement linking schools directly with local farmers, giving farmers income and kids a love of good food and a taste the doors. The center also produced a web-based guide called Rethinking School Lunch, and a book titled Ecological Literacy, which mapped the entire social ecology that has led to these successes. But at the end of the day, the lesson is simple. that What's lunch got to do with it? A sense of wonder about the facts of life. You can make candy out of amaranth grains. A sense of community. The education-acted sense of self. A sense of a future environment of hope. Of hands and heart. That's what lunch has to do with it, and the f- a sense of wonder, ecological literacy, facts of life. To find out more about the Bioneers book, Ecological Literacy, guess literacy. And to find out more about the work and writing of Fritjof Capra, Zenobia Barlow, or visit the Bioneers in this series, and to find out more about the annual Bioneers Conference, call Bioneers toll free. 877 246 6337. That's 1877 Bioneer. Or visit the Bioneers website at bioneers.org. To become a member of the Bioneers or to buy a CD of this program, call the same number toll free. 1 877 246 6337. If outside the United States, you can reach us by calling 505 986 To read more about the work of the Bioneers, check out the Bioneers Anthology book sections. The true includes ecological medicine, healing the earth, healing ourselves, nature's operating instructions, biotechnologies, and ecological literacy, published by Sierra Club Books. producer, Kenny, Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature, the production of Collective Heritage Institute, Executive producer, Ossibel, written by Kenny Ossibel and Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Record label, taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a right. Additional music was made available by New Earth Records, www.newearthrecords.com. For more music information, please visit bioneers.org. The opinions... Ex- Pioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective for Listening Institute, the Underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you. I invite you to join the pioneers in improving the environment by changing the world. This is program number 1205.